Food is fuel for your body, your mind, and definitely your sport. But let's face it, nutrition is confusing and the expectations on girls and women to be thin and have a six pack are exhausting. If you've ever been frustrated with your body, confused about nutrition, obsessed with eating healthy or guilty when you don't, underate, overate, or overtrained and overwhelmed with all the pressure, then this podcast is for you. Nutrition can be easy. You can take control of it, but it might start with letting go of control by asking for help and making a change. I'm Lindsay Elizabeth Cortez, sports dietitian and owner of Rise Up Nutrition, where I empower female athletes to overcome nutrition concerns and perform at their highest level, to stop being confused by all the mixed or harmful messages, and finally have confidence in your body as a fierce, fit, and fueled female athlete. Hi, fans. I'm so excited to bring a really special guest today. She is a fellow registered dietitian and board certified specialist in sports dietetics. Her name is Nancy Clark, and she has done so much in her career. And we're going to get into that today for sure. But, you know, practically speaking, Nancy is a trusted food coach, a nutrition educator, mentor, and sought after speaker, both nationally and internationally. Nancy has a private sports nutrition practice located in the Boston area in Newton, Massachusetts, where she counsels both fitness exercisers and competitive athletes. Nancy's clients have included the spectrum from student athletes to Olympians. She has been the team nutritionist for the Red Sox and has worked with the Boston Bruins and Celtics. Welcome so much, Nancy, to the Female Athlete Nutrition Podcast. It's for all of my listeners, I just want them to to really understand who you are because I'm kind of like fangirl over here. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I've had some professional athletes. I've had some Olympians on this show. But in the field of nutrition and in the field of sports nutrition, you are really like one of the the founding members, if not the founding member. I mean, sports nutrition really did not exist before you. So I'm I'm honored to be talking to you. I think I've wanted to talk to you for, you know, the past decade and it's really exciting to be here with you. Well, thank you, Lindsay, for those very kind words. Yeah, I've I've been at it for a while. So I, I will say that I've been among the first sports nutritionists. And it's really exciting to me to see somebody like you come along it's, it's, I've, I've been doing this for 40 years. So you're the second generation. And it's, it's just really nourishing to me to know that, you know, the seeds that I planted have helped other people to blossom. And we, sports nutrition is on the map now. And, and people realize that performance starts with eating. You know, they used to think it started with training and everybody trained, trained, trained. But now they realize that, you know, you got to start with with proper nutrition. I love that. You're you're dropping just statements that I want to <laughs> post up on my wall already. Performance starts with nutrition. And yeah, to say that you've been doing this for 40 years. I mean, when I was in college, I that's when I heard of you. When I was in my undergraduate degree and I was telling my college professors that I was interested in sports nutrition and this is a, you know, no fault to them. They were probably trying to guide me to the most career opportunities, but they quite frankly discouraged me from it. They were like sports nutrition. There's not really jobs for that. Like it's Nancy Clark or or nobody. <laughs> and, um, but that's how I heard about you because it was this thing that like, you know, sports nutrition as a career didn't really 
wasn't much of a thing. It certainly was, but it wasn't something that my professors were encouraging me to go down because of the limited job opportunities. And that's when I heard of you. And I'm also originally from Massachusetts, which is, you know, where you are. And that's when I first got my hands on, on one of your books, because you are an author as well of, of many books. So I guess to kind of kick us off, Nancy, I'd love to know, like for you, why sports nutrition? When you began your career in down nutrition, you know, sports nutrition didn't really exist. So what what sparked in you to to say, I want to do this or I want to make this? I, I'm not exactly certain. I know that I've always been active. I, I'm pre-Title IX, so I was never an athlete in high school or college. But certainly I was active in doing hiking and biking and cross-country skiing and you know, doing a lot of outdoorsy things. And so when I went to Simmons College, I majored in nutrition and that was more because I was interested in cooking, but I didn't want to be a cook. So I sort of went the nutrition route and then became a registered dietitian because that's what you kind of do. And then I, I worked for a few years. And while I was working, I was giving workshops to coaches. And I realized I need to know more about how nutrition and exercise connect and so I went back to grad school at Boston University and combined nutrition with exercise because they have an exercise science program there. And, and just, you know, my professors worked with me to make that happen. Then I was just lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time in terms of finding a job at a sports medicine clinic. So I'd say that my interest came more from the personal level of, yeah, it's, it's like, you know, I'd be doing these long bike rides and people say like, what, what are you eating? <laughs> you know, what's in, why do you have so much energy? And I just sort of turned that into a career, but it, I, I never thought that my career would take me in so many different places. Like I never aspired to write a book, but I had this empty office at this sports medicine clinic. And it was like, I've got to teach people about why they might want to come, you know, consult with me. Cause at that time, People just joked like, well, sports nutrition, like, what do you, what do you do? Like, you know, cook spaghetti or uh, (laughs) others would joke like, oh, I'm really into sports nutrition. I take vitamin C3 chocolate chip cookies. Ha ha ha. (laughs) I mean, there is, there is just no, no hearing for it really because people were just busy eating whatever they wanted. And then through a lot of workshops and education and writing and, you know, the world came to see that there really is a viable career in sports dietetics. And right now, you know, like I say, there's a lot of sports dietitians around the whole country and and there's space for everybody. There really is. And, And you were such a, you know, I guess, trailblazer in creating that space. Like I, I really can say like, if not for people like you, like, yeah, this career field that I now have and all the people that, that I help, you know, there wasn't help for these people 20, 30 years ago, but you're right. There's also, you know, been a big shift. Like you said, you were even before title nine, which is, you know, creating equal sport opportunities for women and girls. So that's another big boom that we've seen in the past, yeah, 40 years is not just sports nutrition, but I think female specific, because there's, there's female athletes now, like you, you kind of did some air quotes when you said I was active, but I was never an athlete because that didn't really, 
it's crazy to think of that, especially for girls in the younger generation that are might be listening to this podcast, you know, to, to think like girls didn't do sports necessarily. I, I know it, it's my, I mean, I played field hockey and then my daughter who was in high school, I mean, she played field hockey, but she, she, she described herself as an athlete. And when I was playing field hockey, I was just a, a girl in school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's, there's been a huge shift. And unfortunately with that shift comes a whole bunch of problems with women in sports and body image and competition and thinner is better and eating disorders. And I mean, you know that all very well, that there's, that's one of the reasons why there's such a need for really integrating sports nutrition right into a sports curriculum and as part of the training program, part of the performance team. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah, it's so amazing that we have female sports now, but also, well, we have some some issues we need to address. And, you know, when I read your bio, you know, you've worked for some really notable teams, you know, Boston Bruins, Boston Celtics. And I guess I'm curious, what are some in the field of sports nutrition, all the different people you've worked with, whether these high-level teams, these male athletes, professional athletes, or just people coming into your clinic, what are some common nutrition challenges that you see athletes facing across all sports or or does it really vary sport to sport or are there some commonalities? I would say it varies gender to gender. (laughs) I mean, men, men come in with a, they want to know about sports nutrition and like, what do I eat? I don't cook. And women come in, it's like, you know, how can I lose this weight? You know, I need to be lighter and leaner and be yeah, so I can run faster. And and so there tend to be different concerns. But, you know, all athletes are people. All people have nutrition issues. Nutrition these days is so confusing. Everybody gets caught up in the same trends. I mean, is it intermittent fasting? Is it keto? Is it, you know, lose weight at any cost? Is it vegan, vegetarian. I mean, they're, they're just, so whether I work with an ordinary mortal or a high level athlete, the issues are all the same. <laughs> and uh, you probably see that in your practice as well. I, I do. And I, I kind of want to go back to the male female thing. And this is right. A generalization, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Of sometimes the men are, are more ready to say, how do I improve my performance? You know, give me sports nutrition and sometimes the the women and girls are still caught up in body and weight and size and that's what i'm i'm trying to spread the message and and get the the girls to care about performance you know it's about what your body does not its shape size or weight so what is it that you want to do with your body right and really to start caring about that the performance piece i think that's a huge message that i definitely think girls are starting to grasp onto but th- there is kind of a difference there. And, and Nancy, I didn't tell you this before we hopped on because I do I do specialize in in female athletes now. But I spent I spent a solid four years working with a completely male population. I was the dietitian with special operations, which was all wow. men. Yeah. And and it was, I really kind of was like, wow, this job is easy. I just tell them what to do and they do it. You know, they're they're <laughs> grasping on and they're ready to just, you know, fuel to perform. And in a weird way, though, I see that as a benefit because I bring that to all the girls that I work with now is I'm like, 
Not that I'm trying to make them into special operators, but I am like, you want to be at this elite level. This is what we've got to do. And I think that's the message that people need to hear more is they need to hear about performance and not not just weight loss, not not to discredit weight loss, but but to put it in its place. Put it in, if yeah. you are lighter, that does not mean you're going to perform better. If it's lighter at any cost. But yeah, I know I, I I hear exactly what you're saying. You know, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And that's what the guys do. <laughs> oh, you know, oh, peanut butter. Oh, it's a good food. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I can do that. Yeah. Yeah. And isn't it interesting too, though, we say sports nutrition, elite performance, but you're, but in your experience and all the teams and athletes you've worked with, people are still caught up in those diet trends. Like you were mentioning intermittent fasting, keto, you know, it's just, it's, it's rampant. What are some ways that in your experience you really fight that? Well, I just keep going back to the science. And I, I think when working with any client, be they athletic or not, the most important thing is to listen to them. And many of my clients say, oh, you're the first person who's ever listened to me. <laughs> and if they come in saying, you know, I, I'm, I'm intermittent fasting and just kind of listen, find what, what's your goal? Why did you choose that? What's your whole history with dieting? You know, how do you feel? How are your workouts? Oh, you work out first thing in the morning without having eaten anything. Do you feel as though you're getting the most out of your workouts? And, and just really trying to listen to what they know or think they know and then present them with what science has told us and have them experiment. Everybody is an experimental one. And there's not a right or wrong way to eat. There's not a right or wrong way to fuel your body. Everybody sort of has to figure out what works for them, both physically and psychologically, and just work together as a team to have people experiment and figure out what works for them and move forward from there. Mm -hmm. So, so bringing science to the table and then also really recognizing that nutrition is, is individualized and you got to figure out what, what works for you as a person and kind of experiment with yourself a little bit, be open to that. Yeah. Especially in these days where, oh, I'm allergic to this and I'm lactose intolerant and I can't digest, you know, onions and garlic and, <laughs> you know, and I'm gluten-free and I'm vegetarian. And I mean, it, it, it's, you know, food is a lot more complex than it used to be. So, but it, it's, it's fun and it's very rewarding to help people. And when they see the benefits, and I just remember this one person who hadn't been eating before long runs or eating very minimally, and then had them eat before and fuel during and they come back and they go, wow, you know, I knocked a minute, a mile off my runtime. <laughs> and, and I haven't been training differently. <laughs> and and they, they just had a hard time recognizing that food would make that much of a difference. Wow. Yeah. 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 They just, oh, it's training. Training makes you better. It's like, no, fueling for training really makes a big difference. Fueling for training. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And th those are the clients and the moments that you, you, I'm sure as you think back to, you know, your 40 years of experience that you're just, you know, those hold a special place in your heart to know that you really changed. Yeah. 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 No, that's what's rewarding to take, transform all these food fears into peaceful fueling and, and see people just be 
at peace, you know, at peace with food, at peace with your bodies and enjoying exercise and enjoying eating because we come from a culture where for many exercises akin to punishment for having undesired body fat and, and food is the fattening enemy. And now let's just sort of transform that into food being one of life's pleasures and sitting around and meal, you know, sitting, what people are missing this year is that as I got an email from someone said, you know, it's been a year now since I've sat around a table with a bunch of friends sharing food out of the same pot. And, and people are really missing that and the nourishment on many levels that comes with meals, shared meals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I believe in that power of food too, to bring people together, to connect you with love, social activity, cultures, and that food should be should be fun. And I love how you said peaceful, peaceful feeling, and that this is true not just in life, but this is true for athletes, that it's important for athletes to embrace the role that food has in performance, but also just in in enjoying food, in peace, in mental health, and um, embracing all the ways that food can impact your life. Yeah. And and oftentimes, you know, mo- most women have a little voice that sits right on their shoulder and it, it tells them all sorts of things like, oh, you're not going to eat that muffin, are you? You know, that's like fattening. Oh, you're not going to have that birthday cake. There's sugar in it. And if you eat that, you know, you're just going to get fat. And, and so I, I have people listen a lot to their voice and, and figure out what is that voice saying? And then just give them, you know, let them know that fears are not facts and that they also have an intelligent voice. And it's their mind that gets them into their mess with food, but their mind can also get them out of their mess with food and, and have them having, you know, just more appropriate conversations in their brain and just calming down that anxious voice about food as being fattening and, and transforming it into food as fuel. And it's, it's a whole process, but it, it's, it's fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely a process. Like like I said, I already knew talking to you that I'm like, I'm making all these mental notes of quotes you're saying, <laughs> you know, that, that there are just so many things that you're saying are just so good. And I, I hope that people listen to this podcast on repeat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it comes with 40 years of, of learning. I mean, a lot of my quotes have come from other people, but you, 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 it's fine to share them. But just learning what works, what people click into. I, I, I think I'll, I'll change the subject a little bit as, as long as you're gleaning things. I, I think one of the more powerful messages that I'm able to give people is in regards to body image. And so many of my clients come in and they are, you know, they want to lose weight. They're already lean for their genetics. I ask them, you know, how do you look compared to other people in your genetic family? Are you same as they are, leaner than they are, heavier, far leaner, far heavier. And generally they're leaner or even far leaner and they want to be leaner yet, which, you know, you can just change your body just so much. And we start talking about dogs, you know, so this runner comes in and says, oh, I want to look like a runner. (laughs) Well, what does a runner look like? You know, what does a dog look like? You know, in the dog kingdom, there are St. Bernard's and there are Greyhounds and there are Labradors and Poodles 
and beagles and chihuahuas. And each dog is very proud of its genetics. You know, does the St. Bernard want to be a chihuahua? I don't think so. <laughs> and if you take, does the St. Bernard want to be a greyhound? No, but if you took that St. Bernard and dieted it down, it would never become a greyhound. It would just be a miserable St. Bernard. And then people started looking at their genetics and the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. And granted, a lot of people have gained weight with lifestyle, but when your parents were your age, how did they look? Or your grandparents or whatever. And just kind of whittling things back to what is their heritage? You know, and are they from Poland? Are they from France? Are they from Asia? And just looking at their genetics and their heritage and having them be proud of their bodies and their body shapes that their grandparents and parents gave them. And, you know, weight's more than just a matter of willpower. And if you're a St. Bernard, you will never be, you know, a whippet. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It, it, it's such a good metaphor with the dogs. And I actually, I myself have two dogs that I just got a, a few years ago. And I swear I've learned so many life lessons uh, since, since having them. And, you know, one, one thing that I always am amazed at is one, how excited they are to eat all the time, which is just like, I, I look at them and how, and I know their instincts might be different than ours. I, I'm not a dog specialist here. This isn't the dog podcast, but it just reminds me like that's normal to be excited to eat. And then when my dog was sick, my dog was very, very sick this last year. And one of the first signs that I knew he was sick is because he didn't eat. And I was like, oh, something's wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> and, um, and then another lesson from my dogs is like, you know, sometimes I run them, sometimes we're playing fetch all day, and sometimes they're sitting on my office floor doing nothing all day. And guess what? They still eat. We don't change how much they eat based on if they had a day in the office with mom or if they went running. They they still eat, you know, the same amount. And quite frankly, they would keep eating more um, as long as I kept feeding them. So I think there's so many lessons with dogs. And I love that metaphor about body body size and shape too. But it's, and it's not to be angry at your genetics. It's to embrace and be proud of your family and your heritage and your genetics and your culture, because it's giving you so, so much and really allowing yourself to work with it, embrace it, accept it, work with it instead of trying to fight against it and turn into something, you know, and this, this goes deep into society, you know, and especially in today's culture um, here in America, where we're really questioning like what is the ideal, you know, image and standard and things like that. We really have to break that down and embrace our roots. diversity. Diversity. Yeah. 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 No, it, it's, it's interesting. I'm writing an article now. Somebody shared this question with me that is, I think is very thought provoking. And the question is, if exercise had nothing to do with your body shape or size, would you change your exercise program? And it's like, oh, that's really interesting. This was this was posted at an, a group of eating disorder women, and they were compulsive exercisers. And so, if exercise had nothing to do with your body shape or size, if you're compulsively running ten miles a day every day, four thirty in the morning, would you still do that? I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, because that's just akin to punishment. But if exercise is playing fetch with your dog or walking your dog, yeah, I do that every day because it's enjoyable. 
So the E in exercise stands for enjoyment. And it's important for people to, I, I totally separate exercise and weight. And, and you exercise for health, fitness. There's a zillion reasons to exercise. But if you think if you exercise, it's going to change your body shape or size and you're going to lose weight, I'd say, hang it up. You know, how many people do you know that have been exercising like crazy and they still haven't lost those last five pounds, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the E in exercise is for enjoyment. Yes. <laughs> and, um, and there are a zillion reasons to exercise. There absolutely are. But if it's too to for for the sole purpose of changing your weight you know set that set that one aside and ask yourself if what would i do if this had nothing to do with my weight what what would i do and then probably do that and that that's the lifestyle changes that are most important for people and even sport you know even for our more serious athletes you know there's there's a time in every athlete's career where no matter how good they are they have to stop and ask themselves am i enjoying this I'm having fun. Is this worth it? Because pending what level athlete you are, I mean, that's, it's a lot of, it's a lot that you're doing. It's a lot of physical training on your body. It's a lot of mental training. It's a lot of time. And so there, there's, I don't know that I want to use the word sacrifice. Some people view it as that. The reason I'm not is because it should still, as we're talking about, still be enjoyable to you. Right. So it still has to be something that it's like, this is what I want to do. This is bringing me enjoyment and joy in my life to continue pursuing training at a high level. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> and and so often things fall apart when people get injured. And there there's somebody that you might want to in, interview. There's I know you might be familiar with this. It's called the Injured Athletes Club. I'm not. I don't, it's it's a it's a it's a podcast and there's a website and a blog, but the Injured Athletes Club and it's started by these two women, you know, ordinary folks that, you know, injured athletes and realizing that when athletes are injured, they are very lonely and they've lost their social life. They've lost their ability to exercise and have endorphins. Depression is common and there's no support. So they started this wonderful group called the Injured Athletes Club. And there's some very, very good podcasts and things. And some of them by women. I mean, women with eating issues end up getting injured. They might be good for a season or two, but then they get one stress fracture and another one and another one, and they get totally depressed. And who am I if I'm not a runner or a gymnast or a dancer or cyclist or whatever? And so, you know, that's also a big part of sports nutrition is, is knowing that injuries happen and what happens when you're injured and knowing that you can still eat. You know, I've had people hobble into my office on crutches. I haven't eaten for four days because I can't run. Oh my God. People in the hospital eat. They aren't running and they're losing weight. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And you know, actually I was just talking to my, my clients last night. I do, we, we call ourselves a team. We're the nutrition team. So I was doing a team talk and we were actually talking about how, when you're on crutches, how much met of a metabolic energy need that is for you to crutch around. And we're like, your, your needs actually skyrocket when you're injured, whether it's your crutching or why are you injured? Did you just have surgery? Do you have internal healing that needs to be done? Like your people get so screwed up thinking I'm injured. I'm not running. I need to eat less. And it's like, no, you need more fuel to heal. Precisely. <laughs> it is not the time to be losing weight. Yeah. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah, it, it is. There, there's so many facets of sports nutrition. 
And it, it's really taking on a lot bigger picture. Like when I first started, there was just, what do you eat before you exercise? What do you eat before the marathon? How do you carve a load? And it expanded to eating before and during. And then it goes into recovery. And then it goes into the training diet and health and wellness and the whole lifespan. And it's looking at the whole picture. And, you know, the bottom line is the E and eating's for enjoyment, the E and exercise is for enjoyment. And that's what we can help people achieve. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I want to get back to, because you've helped so many people throughout the years achieve enjoyment through exercise and eating, as you're saying, and achieve, you know, great performances as athletes. So I want to get back to your, your books. So I have two of your books Ooh. in my office here with me. <laughs> I'd autograph them if I was there. <laughs> I wish you could. You might see them in the in the screen behind me. So one of your most notable books is Nancy Clark's Sports Nutrition Guidebook. It has sold over 750,000 copies. It's now available in its sixth edition, which was released in 2019. Was that your first book? My very first book was called The Athlete's Kitchen. And that came out in 1983. And then that was, that sort of morphed into Nancy Clark's Sports Nutrition Guidebook in 1990. And since then, I revised it every, you know, five years or so. And so now it is out in the sixth edition. And, you know, one of the things that I'm really proud of is that it, it's really sold a lot just through grassroots, word of mouth. This is like a great book. You know, I, it's not as though I've had a marketing team out there and, you know, wheeling and dealing to get it on the New York Times bestseller list or whatever, but, but it's gotten a lot of support from other dietitians that recommend it to their clients. And it's gotten a lot of support just within the athletic community. Some like it because it's just day to day eating on the run. Like, how do you manage the American food supply? Like, what do you eat for breakfast or lunch? So it's really how to. Some like it because it's got the sports nutrition, fueling up, fueling during, refueling. What about all these different supplements stuff in it? Others like it. There's a very strong section on weight, weight management, body image, dieting gone awry. And they really learn a lot from that. And then others like it just because it's got great recipes. Quick and easy, (laughs) nothing weird, family friendly. So it's got a little bit of something for everybody. And And it's not just for athletes, but a lot of senior citizens like it because it's really living alone, cooking for one, you know, to a certain extent. But it's, you know, it just gives me pleasure when I get emails. Like the other day, I got an email from, you know, a mom who said, Nancy, my teenage son spent the weekend reading your sports nutrition guidebook. And, <laughs> and she was just kind of flabbergasted. <laughs> and it's not the kind of book that you have to read from start to finish. You can just pick yeah, up you the can chapter. kind of pick out, you can go to chapters. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. like the snack attack chapter. If you're, you know, tired of craving sweets and sugar, like what do I do? But <laughs> the book actually, a lot of people at you went you said that you went to UMass Amherst and it's actually used as a textbook in their exercise physiology class. But I think that was probably after your time. Was Barry Braun there when you were there? He was. was. Yeah, he was one of my professors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I know that he used it in his classes, and I think it's still being used now. Yeah. Yeah, he was one of my favorite professors at UMass, and I actually 
got to reconnect with him a few years ago too. He wasn't using your guidebook at that time, but it doesn't surprise me that he started to because one of my favorite professors and here you are, one of my favorite dietitians that I've looked up to over the years. So um, it, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, it's, it's, it is a great guidebook. And so for people listening, I just absolutely highly recommend it. And I think what's cool about this book too is, is that you are updating it, right? Not to say that you always will, you know, maybe, maybe sometime Nancy wants to take a break. I don't know, but, <laughs> <laughs> but that you've, you've been in this field for so long and, and, you know, nutrition fads and science, you know, they come and go new science is coming, new fad diets come. And here you have this guidebook that yes, you are updating it, but it's like the core of it, the root of it is, is the same. Then we just update as we go. And, and it's still with your strong messages, that are being kind of like read and preached throughout it. There's a few things I, d- I want to pull out. I don't know if we'll kind of dig into them more, but you have you have a quote and kind of a section about calorie awareness versus calorie obsession, which is, I think, really important. And I was wondering if you might just be able to expand on that a little bit. Yeah, calorie awareness versus calorie obsession and what that means and how you teach that to your clients. Yeah, I- <laughs> I think calorie awareness is very helpful. It's sort of like when you go shopping, you got a bag of money and you know how much you can spend. You have a budget and you spend nickels, dollars, dimes, and quarters. But when people go eating these days, they have no idea what the budget is. Like how many calories is okay to eat? They just know they try to eat as little as possible, but they don't know what their body, what they deserve to eat, what their body requires. And and so... I educate people about how much their body, if they were the average person, how much their body would require and sort of divide that up into meals and snacks. And so like if you've got 500 calories that would be appropriate for you for breakfast, you know, how are you going to spend it? And it, it drives me crazy when people come in with these food records and they have 87 calories of this and 32 calories of of carrot and you know, 21 calories of something and a hundred. I mean, it's like, no, 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 no. Calories are zero, 50 or a (laughs) hundred. Just round. Yeah. Like we don't need to be that specific. Just round it off. Round up. Yeah. Yeah. A piece of fruit, a hundred. If it's a piece of fruit, 150. You know what I think I want to highlight for our listeners that both you and me just said, we said round up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we did not say round, round down. down. Yeah. We said round up. And I just want to highlight that because I think another theme kind of in, in your books too, I, I wonder, Nancy, have you just been on repeat saying like, eat more, you need to eat more. <laughs> have you just been on repeat for the past 40 years? Yeah. yeah, yeah. People eat it's okay more. to eat. <laughs> yeah. It's okay to eat. Yeah. 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 But, but if you're aware of calories and know what your budget is, there's a context. So when you look at the label, And that, you know, slice of bread, that fattening carby bread is 110 calories. You go, oh, 100 calories. Well, I'm supposed to eat 500 calories. I guess I'll have two slices of bread with two tablespoons of peanut butter and a banana. And it's like, wow. And I feel fed. And and have them connect that when they eat, it's okay to eat this much. When you do eat this much, how do you feel? It's like, oh, I'm not like hungry, hungry, hungry still. I don't stop eating just because I think I should. I stop eating because I'm content. And, and, and so that's where I think that calorie awareness 
can be very helpful in our crazy society where people think that they're supposed to live on a flake of special K, a leaf of lettuce, a rice cake, and they just don't know how much it really they deserve to eat. Yeah, that their body requires. Yeah, I, I love that, and and I'm I'm having this conversation a lot with my clients. Some of my clients that I work with, we we for a short period of time avoid talking calories because they they get too mentally wrapped up or they have that less is better mindset. And so we kind of just pause. We don't talk calories because we're trying to get them away from that. But eventually we have to face the facts, which is that calories exist. You know, you're going to grab a granola bar and it's going to say the calories and you do need to be aware of, is this enough or do I need to grab two granola bars? And so, so knowing this information can help you. Being aware is important, but when you become obsessive and you're tracking, like you said, 37 calories, like, no, 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 no. This all comes down to at the end of the day, humans need thousands of calories a day and and a and a week, tens of thousands, right? So it's like round up, get the fuel you need. One of your other quotes I have in front of me, just from within your book that I love, as we're talking about feeling more satisfied with food, you say hunger is simply the body's request for fuel, and I just think you know. Again, this is something I'm preaching all the time, but you know, in our, in today's society, people are so scared of being hungry or it's like, you know, being being full is like this bad thing. Like, oh, if I'm full, I ate too much and if, you know, but if I'm hungry, that's a good thing because I'm, you know, I have the some willpower and you just say it so plainly, hunger is simply your body's request for fuel. Your body's just saying I I burned off what you gave me. May I please have some more? And if you were babysitting and the little kid was crying because he was hungry, of course you would feed it. And if you didn't, it would be called child abuse. So if people are hungry all the day, it's very abusive. It's like, don't do that anymore. Yeah. You know, some people think that hunger is just a personality quirk. And I had this one client who said, oh, I'm just hungry all the time. It's just a personality quirk. It's like, no, that's not a personality quirk. You know, it's, it's that you're not feeding yourself enough. And then she started eating more. And it's like, oh, but a lot of people like to be hungry because if they're hungry, that means they're not getting fat. And it's like, Ugh. no, many people eat, are not hungry, and they do not get fat. They the body does an amazing job of regulating. You get hungry and unhungry and then hungry and and hunger is just simply a request for fuel. I burned off what you gave me. May I please have some more food. That's all your body's saying. Yeah, I, I I'm really gonna let that one sink in and I hope our listeners are too of thinking about it as as you know like a child asking you and thinking that when you when you say no to that and you deny that, thinking of that as as abuse. I think that that really hit home to me just now. Yeah. No, li- living hungry. I mean, it's your body isn't, it's putting your body into muscle breakdown mode. I mean, it, it is abusing your body. And sure, I mean, there are days when we all get hungry and life is crazy or whatever, but it's the day after day after day. It's the chronic deprivation. And it, it's, people don't trust their hunger signals and they have to learn to trust their body. And that's a process. And, you know, trusting that you can eat and not get fat, that you can eat and have more energy and sleep better and feel better and be in a better mood and be warmer and not have cold hands and feet all the time. And, and just have, you know, just sort of point out to people what it feels like to be fed. But if you're thinking about food, 
99% of the time, the chances are that you're hungry 99% of the time. And and I, I got an email from a client of mine who'd actually, she'd been through an eating disorders program. I mean, she was just really starving herself. And she sent me this email in between sessions and she said, oh, so this is what it feels like to be fed in perky. <laughs> and I go, yeah, it feels good. <laughs> I know sometimes people don't know how bad they feel until you start making these changes and you feel better. I have the same experience with my clients too. It's like they they have this feeling once they implement something and yeah, they, they feel more energized or I'm not as cold all the time or I'm not thinking about food all the time. And I'm like, yes, this is how it's supposed to be all the time. And they didn't know, they literally didn't know that they could, could or should feel a different way. You know, so, so many people don't know how bad they're feeling until you experience what feeling good feels like. And then once you do, you want to grasp onto that and you want to continue it because it's so much better. Yeah. And, and people make a change when there's a benefit. So I, I try to point out, you know, I always ask my clients like, okay, so you've been eating more breakfast. Is there a benefit or what's the benefit? Oh yeah. I, I'm more awake. Oh, I'm in better mood. I'm not starving you know, by 10 o'clock in the morning. And when there's a benefit, people make a change. And, and so it's, it's always cost benefit. And the cost of eating breakfast is like, oh no, I'm going to keep eating all day and I'll get fat. And that's the fear. It's not a fact. Yeah, it's a fear. It's not a fact. Yeah, but there's, so for those of you that are listening, and this is sort of like making sense, meet with a registered dietitian who specializes in sports nutrition. You know, you have to change by yourself, but you don't have to do it alone. And and it, it's, I think people hold a lot of shame and embarrassment and guilt about making an appointment to see a dietitian. It's like, oh, I should be able to do something as simple as eat, or I should be able to do something as simple as lose weight. It's not simple. The body is very complex and professional help is, will certainly help you reach your goals a lot faster than if you try to figure this out on your own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so important to say that. And and again, as somebody who's been, you know, one of the founders of the field of sports nutrition, we cannot emphasize enough how important it is to seek help from a registered dietitian. And there is no shame in that to to get help because it, yeah, to to feel like you should something as simple as eating. I think I think if we're all you know being honest, it should be simple. But we have not made like society. We have not made it simple. We've made it very complex. And that's where working with a registered dietitian, we can show you how to make it more simple and easy and fun and enjoyable in your life and, and help you and get those benefits that you're looking for. So there, there you go, Nancy, always advocating for our profession. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, someone's got to do it. Someone's got to do it. Yeah. 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 Someone's got to do it. Yeah. Well, um, real quick too, I want to highlight some of the other books that you have I th- actually, let me just ask you, how many books have you written? I have written, it's either 13 or 14. And, but, but I mean, there, there's been six editions of my sports nutrition guidebook. There's been the original, The Athlete's Kitchen. So that's seven. Then I did a food guide for marathoners, first edition, food guide for marathoners, second edition, food guide for cyclists, first edition, food guide for cyclists, second edition, food guide for soccer, food guide for women's soccer. 
food guide for new runners. So that brings me up to 13. That That's plenty. Yeah. Yeah. yeah amazing. Yeah. I have your food guide for marathoners and I, I read that one. Maybe I was in grad school. I, that's when I was starting to run my first marathon. And that is the first time that I was introduced to the concept of second lunch, which <laughs> my clients know I am now a huge fan of second lunch, of second dinner, of second breakfast. Um, and I think this is like a sports nutrition message that I think is really important of, you know, we, we, we try and just think about food as like breakfast, lunch, and dinner and snacks. Well, you're training for a marathon. You're a high level athlete. Like snacks aren't going to cut it. You just need second lunch. <laughs> you got it. It's the most important meal of the day. <laughs> it's the most important meal of the day. I implemented that myself many years ago, and now I am teaching that to all of my clients, and that is direct from your book, Food Guide for Marathoners. I know that when my clients listen to this podcast episode, they're going to crack up. <laughs> yeah. I'm always, I'm always saying that. Well, the way that I see it, I see eating as a timeline, and you get a food bucket every four hours. And so on my schedule, breakfast at seven. And if I train in the morning, maybe I have part of my breakfast before I work out, part of it afterwards. But breakfast is like just like seven-ish. Lunch, when you work out in the morning, you're hungry for an early lunch. So you have lunch at 11. Then what do you do all afternoon until dinner? You have a second lunch at three and then dinner at six or seven. And the purpose of second lunch is to give you energy to get through the rest of the day, but also it's to ruin your appetite so you don't walk into the house starving and eat everything in sight. Yeah, I mean, you're going to eat these calories eventually, either after dinner or right before dinner. So eat them at three in the afternoon when you're hungry. So I just slammed together two peanut butter sandwiches, lunch one, lunch two, you know, boom, boom, done. And boy, <laughs> am I happy. But it, it, it makes all the difference, particularly for women who are working and they go from one frying pan to the next when they come home. And I just remember the, the, you know, if you work all day and you come home and your kids are hungry, the dog's hungry, you're hungry, the husband's hungry. It's not a pretty picture. It's like I learned I don't come home hungry. You know, I, I have my second lunch. Yeah, I'll, I'll eat, still eat dinner, but I, I, I have energy to take care of everybody else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to take care of yourself first so that you can take care of other people or do other things. Precisely. Yeah. yeah. So, yep, second lunch. It's the key. It's the key. Second lunch is the key. <laughs> I love it. I love and, it. And it helps to know your calories, like how much is okay to eat for second lunch. Yeah. Awareness. Awareness, awareness. Of, of in those buckets. What does that really look like? Because that's definitely a fear of a lot of people. Well, if I eat second lunch, then I won't be hungry for dinner. And then and then we people worry about that. So I think an awareness of what does that look like, understanding your fueling needs so that you have second lunch and dinner, right? Precisely. And, and most active women, if they're wanting to lose weight, they deserve at least 2,400 calories a day to maintain so that they lose on 2000. So that's 500 calories four times a day. So, you know, a second lunch, it can be sandwich. Yeah. No problem. Something substantial that, that satisfies you and fills you up. 
Well, beautiful, Nancy. This has been such a, an amazing conversation. Like you said, I was a little bit uh, starstruck and just so excited to to see you and talk with you. I guess I'm also, as one of my final questions, I'm, I'm curious, you know, you, you've done so much, you've guided so many athletes, so many people, and also, you know, dietitians that you didn't even know you were teaching me throughout the last decade, but you were, um, and you're spreading your message through books to reach, you know, reach the masses. What, what's up next for you? Or, you know, are you happy with your career now? Do you have anything that you feel is unfinished or anything that you are pursuing and aspiring to do? Or are you ready to kick back and go to Hawaii and <laughs> <laughs> work in my garden, work in my garden? No, I'm for many, many years, probably for about 30 years, I taught workshops for dietitians on teaching them how to become sports, sports dietitians. And, and that certainly was very, very rewarding. And what's rewarding, like I say, is that there are two generations now of sports dietitians that have come along and they're doing a great job and just really expanding the field. I'm happy right now. I've got a little virtual office and I'm just kind of happy doing that and doing some writing. I'm ready to let the next, the younger generation take over. And I've taken off my roller skates. I'm, I'm, I'm still gliding along, but <laughs> I don't have any major aspirations because I'm, I'm very, very content with the places that my career has taken me. And I'm just really glad that sports nutrition now is really solid as a part of people's performance team. So I, I, I'm satisfied and I'll just keep on doing what I'm doing and uh, do what I want to do. And that probably means working, but it also means working in my garden and uh, taking longer walks with my dog and hanging out with my friends and, you know, maybe playing a little bit more. <laughs> I love that. Beautiful. So if if people listening to this are are interested in reaching out to you, you are still working and you do have virtual things set up. So I will include all the links to your websites in the show notes. Do you want to just say it out loud for other people what your website is? Sure. My website is Nancy Clark R D, registered dietitian. So N-A-N-C-Y-C-L-A-R-K-R-D. And you can just Google Nancy Clark Sports Nutrition and my name will come up. But nancyclarkrd.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at nclarkrd. Or on Facebook, it's nancyclarkrd. And I'd be glad to keep sharing little tips with you. Wonderful. I'll include all of that in the show notes, Nancy. And and if do you have a few more minutes? I have some rapid fire fun questions if you're willing to play along. Sure. Okay. Nancy, if there is one food that you could eat every single day for the rest of your life, but never get sick of it, what would that be? Oh, I, I, I do that. Peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> you're already doing it. Amazing. I already do that. Peanut butter every day. Nancy, what is your, your favorite sport to participate in? Oh, I love anything outdoors. You know, walking, hiking, biking, just outdoors, woods, you know, tromping through the woods. And if there's a dog by my side, that's even better. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I've got my dog too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Nancy, do you have a favorite spectator sport, something that you really are thrilled to watch and be a fan of? 
Oh, well, in Boston, we're sort of spoiled. <laughs> well, our, our spoiled years are, are over. You know, hockey is really, my, my daughter played hockey, my son played hockey, and it's, it's really a fun sport. It's quick, it's fast, it's exciting. So that, that's, that's fun. But, you know, sitting in Fenway Park ain't so bad either. <laughs> no, not at all. So, oh man, I love Boston sports. I'm a, I'm a Bruins fan. I have so many memories. I went to a game it was two years ago because I don't live in, in Massachusetts anymore, but yeah, one of my, my favorite teams is, oh yeah. Okay. I got to stop talking about Boston sports. <laughs> it's exciting. And it's, you'll get, you'll get homesick. Yeah. Nah, yeah I yeah. do. I'll get homesick. All right, Nancy, my final question, maybe a little bit of a curveball. I'm not sure, but is there a female athlete that really inspires you? This can be a professional athlete or, or a friend, someone who's not at, at that level. Um, just a, a female athlete that really inspires you. I would say Joan Benoit Samuelson. You know, she was starting her career when I was starting my career. And she is the sweetest, most generous, kindest person around. And, and she's still running. And, and, you know, she gets slower and slower, but she is out there representing women through the, through the life cycle. And I, I think she's just great. She has a lot that she can be proud of. I agree. Absolutely. Well, thank you for giving her a shout out. And Nancy, thank you so much for this conversation, for coming on the show. It was just an absolute pleasure to talk with you. And thank you for all that you've done for people throughout the the decades and for other registered dietitians and sports dietitians like myself. We, we appreciate you more, I think more than we could ever express. Well, thank you very much for those kind words and keep up your good work. Thank you so much. Yeah, next generation, like you said, kind of picking up here. So we we are happy to follow in your footsteps. Yeah. I really hope you enjoyed that episode and thanks for listening. But before I let you go, I have free resources that you can have access to right away, right now, so that you can start fueling your body as a fierce, fit, and fueled female athlete. First, I have your Red S recovery race. If you've ever wondered if you might be struggling with Red S, curious to learn more, or know you have Red S and are looking to recover fast, then you can head to www.riseupnutritionrun.com slash Red S and download the Red S recovery race. See how you place and figure out the next steps to recovery. Plus, while there, I have a few other great resources for you, including three nutrition secrets that every elite athlete swears by and access to a private Facebook community, Female Athlete Nutrition. So again, to gain access to all of this, head to riseupnutritionrun.com slash red S that's backslash R E D S. And you can gain access and get the help you need fast. Too many girls and women and female athletes struggle with nutrition, but you don't have to any longer become fierce, fit, and fueled. Links in the show notes, and I'll see you next time.